Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, with everyone stuck at home looking for stuff to consume, Netflix has a doozy for you to binge this weekend. Season 3 of Ozark. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I started watching that show everyone's talking about with the crazy tiger guy. I'm almost speechless, but I'll find some words to describe the Tiger King. Westworld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Survivor, and you'll never believe which two movies Jeff watched this week. I am just stupefied that he watched these. We're going to have some fun chatting about that. Mom, what are we doing here? Your father's laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. Where's my five million dollars? Someone's going to die. Relax. Why do I have this feeling we both know that you'd be better off dead? This weekend marks the return of Ozark on Netflix. That clip was from the first season, just as a reminder for those who need it, or maybe an introduction for those who haven't seen it. But before we get into anything else, we just have to provide a reminder. Jeff, where are you broadcasting from right now? I am broadcasting from the couch in my own home. It is an actual, literal version of the couch potatoes. That's right. As a part of the physical distancing, many of our colleagues are working from home this week, so I'm still in the studio at the radio station, but Jeff Braun is at home. Now, season one, and by the way, so if there's a slight delay or if we trip over each other, that's why. It's because we can't see each other. Not that we ever (laughs) look at each other while we're doing this anyway. We don't don't really like each other. Season one of Ozark debuted in July of 2017. Stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Bateman plays Marty Bird, a financial manager in Chicago who launders money for a drug cartel. Things go poorly for him, so he takes his family and flees to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, where he ends up laundering even more money for that Mexican cartel. And that's when things get really hairy, as they get mixed up with a family of low-life criminals and another family that runs the local drug scene. So they've got one a low-life family and then the big crime family. And then there's the cartel. Season 2, which debuted in August of 2018, expanded on all that as they somehow convinced a lot of big, powerful people to build a casino so they could use it to launder money, of course. Marty leaves you up and spits you out. May I remind you of your debt to us? Don't f*** with my client. They'll kill your children. Look me in the eye and tell me that you've never lied to us about anything. Have you killed other people? We do not not kill people. Okay, guys, that's it. Please, to school, learning. In season three, the casino is open. Tensions continue to mount as Marty and Wendy struggle to balance their family safety with the growing success of their money laundering empire. If we had just kept our heads down, Wendy. There's nothing we can do about that now. We're committed. Oh, yeah? We have made promises to our shareholders about this casino, and I don't think we want to annoy our shareholders. I want you to admit something. I want you to admit this is all about you. It has nothing to do with what is best for us. You have done nothing but fight me on this. I was trying to protect our family. That is such a tired, tired excuse. Let's pause there. A marriage is only as good as its trust. 
So I mentioned the word tensions, and this is easily one of the most tense shows I've ever watched on television. Jeff, I I can't remember. Have you seen Ozark? I started watching it, and after three or four, maybe even five episodes, I sort of bailed on it. I just, I just wasn't into it. I don't know if it was just something inside me at the time or if it was actually the show. But every time I hear people talk about it, it makes me want to get back into it. Yeah, well, it, it might be worth checking it out, uh, and I'll, I'll expand on whether or not it's for everyone at the end of this. But the stuff this family goes through is just insane. Their lives are constantly in danger of being erased with so many people who could potentially take them out and yet they survive and they thrive because they're smart they're shrewd and it all seems believable right like as in you never think okay this is getting stupid how could this normal family endure all of this crap well first and foremost the performances are outstanding i think this is the first time For me personally, that I'd ever seen Jason Bateman do a dramatic role, and he is perfect in this role, and it's funny because his delivery is essentially the same as when he does comedies, right? Like, he's such a great straight man in comedies, he's super dry, and as it turns out, that delivery also works wonderfully for a dramatic role. Lenny, meanwhile also spectacular as the supportive slash angry wife and the evolving power struggle that we've watched over the first two seasons between the two of them has been fun to watch and watching her assert herself into an almost Walter White kind of character because at first she was just trying to deal with the situation but she's now embraced it and even seems to enjoy it she definitely enjoys it more than Bateman's character he's just trying to keep his family alive the show has received a bunch of acting awards nominations for Bateman and Linney from the Emmys, Golden Globes, and Screen Actors Guild. Bateman won Best Actor at the SAG Awards last year. The show also won two Emmys last year, Bateman for Outstanding Directing, and Julia Garner won Best Supporting Actress for her role as Ruth Langmore. And that character, Ruth, she's with the aforementioned family of lowlifes. They were probably my least favorite part of that first season. Her character was fascinating. She's a young woman who has to be the adult in a family full of juvenile idiot criminals. Uh, I just felt like they spent too much time on that family. That just felt sort of like classic Netflix to me. You know, they ordered 10 episodes when eight probably would have done it. So they got to fill that time by introducing more characters, but they found a better use for her in season two, I think. So I'm excited to see how it all plays out in season three. It is not the best show on TV. One of the reasons why you might not have liked that first season, Jeff, I did find the pacing. Well, it, it kind of plodded along at times, but I was much more uh, into season two, if memory serves, because it's been, what did I say, August 2018? It's been a while since this was on TV. I don't think I actually finished it until December of 2018. So even though it's not the best show, it's pretty damn good. It's relatable. In a way, because they drop this seemingly normal family, other than the money laundering, of course, into this extraordinary situation. So how would you handle it? Could you handle it? Could you handle all the, a drug cartel coming after you and this other family of drug, uh, this other family drug empire and these lowlifes? Also, it's not a fun show. It's very serious. The clip sort of implied maybe a little bit of comedy, you know, with them being at the marriage counselor. But this is mostly serious. So if you like dark, gritty crime stuff, I think you will like Ozark. Highly recommended. I'm hoping to be finished this third season by the end of the weekend. And then I guess I need to make time for the show you're about to tell us about, Jeff. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's... 
It's also crime-related, but dark and gritty are not words I would use to describe it. It's a new documentary series on Netflix called The Tiger King. It's not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. Yeah, they do have a story to tell. This main guy, is uh, his name is Joe Exotic, and he runs a big cat zoo in Oklahoma. He has about 200, and we're talking like full-size tigers and lions and leopards and the whole nine. Uh, he's been doing this for about 20 years, and he's pretty insane. He's got this dyed blonde mullet. He's got all these piercings. He keeps a gun on his hip, and he's a hustler. He's making money hand over fist from tourists who they come, they want to see and play with and get selfies with the tigers, and they'll pay whatever he charges to do it. His zoo and his shtick, they're, it's all very tacky, and he hosts this crazy internet show every night, and, and all of his employees they look like deranged carnies too. Each one is looks more insane than the last. It's just a wild scene over there. Uh, and that's in Oklahoma. Then they go to this other guy who's doing a similar thing in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's Doc Antle. His operation is sort of the same, was a big cat zoo, but it's a touch classier. And this guy's very, very into himself. And there's just something, the way he carries himself, just the way he is about himself just feels off. Now, I've only seen the first a- first episode of eight episodes. I should get that out of the way, too. So this is like introductory stuff that we get in the first episode. There's also this lady, Carol. She's an animal rights activist, and she's looking to shut those other two guys down. She rescues big cats, and then she brings them to her animal sanctuary, and then she sells tickets for people to come and see them. It's almost the exact same thing as what the other guys are doing, but she doesn't call hers a zoo. She calls hers a sanctuary. She says the animals that she rescues can't go into the wild, so she has to give them a comfortable home. And every character on the show is a real character. You think maybe they'll be a quote-unquote normal person, and then they turn out to be just one of the biggest weirdos you've ever seen. And then they tell you their backstory about how they grew up and some of their formative experiences, and suddenly they kind of make sense to you it's very effective storytelling and and then and frankly you know they're all pretty damaged people who genuinely do find solace from a harsh world in the company of these animals even though you know joe's making money from the tigers he really does seem to love them so none of them are like cynical like i'm just in this for the money kind of thing they all seem to think they're doing the right thing and the first hour of eight is basically the setup it introduces us to them shows us their histories what they're all about but what the document is really about is that uh, Joe is accused of hiring a hitman or somebody to murder Carol, which is insane. At the beginning of the first episode, the filmmaker gets a call from Joe, who's in jail, and he later he says, I'm in a cage, just like the animals. Uh, we don't know if he spent a night, a week, a month, a year in jail, if he's still there, or if Carol's dead or what. Uh, they haven't gotten into that in the first episode. I got seven more to check out. I can't wait. It's called Tiger King. It's on Netflix, and it's most definitely worth a watch. Actually, you only have six episodes, Jeff. It's seven episodes total. Uh, oh. which isn't bad. I and there it's like right. forty to forty-five minutes per episode. It's number one in Canada, by the way. Netflix now posts its uh, yeah. tells you what its top ten is, and I'm looking at it right now on my phone, and it says number one in Canada today: Tiger King, murder, mayhem, and madness. As I've said before in this program, crime documentaries 
generally aren't my thing. I'll watch the odd one. Uh, like I watched one on uh, Netflix a couple years ago. I think it was called Evil Genius. That was pretty good. But I, I find that some of these documentaries just go on too long. Like I'm not wondering if seven episodes is really all that necessary. But everyone's consuming yeah. this, devouring this en masse. So I feel like I might need to check it out. But Ozark is going to be the priority for me this weekend as I go into my weekend of couch potato isolation up next we're going to tell you what's coming to blu-ray dvd digital hd and then we're going to talk about the season finale of curb your enthusiasm you are listening to the couch potatoes a force brought us together i will finish what we started thousand generations live in you now. This is your destiny. The Force will be with you. Always. I'm Brad He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes having a look at what is coming to home video. This one came out a couple of weeks ago on Digital HD, but it is arriving on Tuesday, March 31st. In case you somehow couldn't figure out what that was, Jeff, what was that? <laughs> Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. You know, listening to the music, and we talked about this before, the music, the way that they rearranged it for the trailers and for the TV spots, I just love it. And it makes me want to watch it again because I didn't go back to see it a second time in theaters. It's the first one of the trilogy that I didn't go back and see more than once. I saw The Force Awakens, I think, three times. I saw The Last Jedi three times, even though I didn't really love The Last Jedi <laughs> the first time out. I just yeah. like the the visuals, but I didn't bother going back to see The Rise of Skywalker, and uh, its box office was reflective of, I think, uh, that I was, wasn't alone there. It finished with $515 million domestic. Aside from, you know, the the movies not maybe being as good as you expected. I think it's just sort of the wow factor wears off because I did the same thing with Lord of the Rings. I saw the first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, at least three times in theaters. I saw the two towers twice and I only saw Return of the King once. And I liked that movie as much as the other ones. It was just that thing of, you know what? We've, I've seen these movies. By the time you got to the third one, I'd seen the, especially with DVD and stuff, I'd seen the first two myriad times so it's just sort of the thrill of it does it can't help but wear off at least a little bit you know yeah and it looks like uh, the last jedi made 620 million domestically whereas the the climax of the star wars saga should have been the biggest of the bunch but people were just disappointed in it and yeah that, that was my take on that movie it was just disappointing it was wasn't bad i wouldn't say it was bad it just wasn't great it wasn't the grand finale that we were hoping for but it certainly had spectacular visuals, so I'll probably end up picking that one up just so I can enjoy the visual uh, shenanigans on screen. Looking at the digital HD selections coming Tuesday, March 31st, we've got three movies that are all fairly recently uh, in theaters. Yeah, we got Sonic the Hedgehog, Bad Boys for Life, and The Call of the Wild. That was that uh, Harrison Ford up north with a CGI dog movie. So 
those are much earlier than you would have expected to come out on digital HD as their uh, theater life got cut quite short. Yeah, the Bad Boys for Life came out January 17th. So I guess it's, I guess that's okay. not implausible that that movie would be yeah, released. But, but it's still unlikely. You usually don't see a movie come out on, on home video for at least three or four months. Sonic came out February 14th. And then uh, The Call of the Wild was February 21st. So I think it's good at least that the the movie companies are reacting to what's happening with COVID-19, the fact that the movie theaters are shut down. People still will have a craving to see new new movies. Like the fact that uh, Black Widow, for example, like a, that I won't be able to see that in May or whatever the release date was. I think it was early May. Uh, has me sad. I was really excited to see that movie. So who knows when we'll get to see that one. Yeah, and it seems like they're taking the ones that have already been in theaters and quickly pushing them to digital HD. And I suspect that's to clean up the slate for movies that have never been in theaters to come to digital HD pretty quickly, too, because, you know, they, they want to keep trying to make some money somehow because that's what movie companies do. And then it makes you wonder if they do get everything out digital HD, but production's halted and all these things that down the road there might be a scarcity of movies for a little while. I mean, that's a issue for a much later time, but they're, they're definitely doing a lot of juggling and probably trying to make the most of what is not a great situation for them. Well, you know, it was a grand finale, the season finale for Curb Your Enthusiasm. We'll get into that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and we're going to talk now about the season finale and season in general of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Look, we've all experienced bad service before, but for most of us, there's not much you can do about it. Maybe you write a negative Yelp review, or maybe you just don't go back to the place. But Larry David has chosen a different path. This is Mocha Joe's, a small coffee shop serving the west side of Los Angeles. And this is Latte Larry's. Why two coffee shops right next to each other? We went to the man himself for answers. I was wrong. I was mistreated. I ordered a cup of coffee next door, this Mocha Joe's. And Josh, the coffee is cold. I politely asked for another cup of coffee. He banned me from the store. I couldn't live with it. So you're operating this place just out of spite? Yeah, it's a spite store. And spoilers ahead, but that was a really a terrific finale and a terrific season. The finale wove so many threads together. All season, Larry had been working on his spite store, Latte Larry's, to try to drive Mocha Joe out of business. And this episode saw a lot of other celebrity spite stores open up in L.A. after word got out about Larry's. My favorite was Sean Penn opening up an exotic bird store. Yes. And, of course... The, yeah, did you like the Sean Penn one? Oh, yeah. Every time he does comedy, it blows my mind because he's so intense. But then, you know, every 10 years or 15 years, something he'll like... Remember, like, he popped up on Friends for, like, a two-episode arc. It was bizarre, and now he shows up in this. I well, don't know. Well, hang on a sec. I think I've got a clip of Sean Penn doing his thing on Curb. Here it is. I was never a very zen sort of personality, but I find myself very, very calm now. I think, you know, it's the birds. <laughs> and I loved oh. at the end that that, that secondary squawk. Uh. What is that a toucan? Like, I don't know. If they found the most exotic birds for him, but yeah, that was priceless and so unexpected. They got some great celebrity cameos uh, for the finale. 
Yeah, Jonah Hill was in there too, and, and to the point where he's like quit acting because he opened up his diner and he just loves running the diner. And of course, one of the spite stores bites Larry in the backside. A jewelry store opened by Mila Kunis drove a competitor out of business. A competitor Larry needed to get a watch fix, a watch that was broken in a way that I don't know how we could explain on family radio, but they really went there in that storyline. Uh, Larry also caught a bunch of firefighters and paramedics abusing the siren. They were turning on the lights and sirens to clear traffic but weren't going to emergencies. He was busting them on that. And then, of course, at the end, uh, like I said, spoilers abound, Larry's coffee shop catches fire, but he blocks a fire truck that's trying to get by him to go put out the fire at his own restaurant because Larry doesn't think that's where they're actually going. Poetic, uh, just the way they turn stories inside out on themselves like that. Just genius. There's also that subplot that was truly insane in which Larry asked a mixed race couple who are expecting their first child what skin tone <laughs> they hope the kid has. I mean, that was just bonkers. Who could, in a million years, I never would have thought of that being a plot in a even in even in a curb your enthusiasm episode i don't know it was just a really good season from beginning to end i'm surprised how fast it flew by i hope he doesn't wait so long to do another season he's not getting any younger he's been at it for 20 years i have noticed that he is a lot more open about how rich he is on the show i mean he bought a car just to get licorice he opened a store for spite he almost bought the house beside him to ensure he'd have some peace and quiet so i don't know i think there's a lot more stuff larry could do and i hope he quickly gets in a couple more seasons before calling it a day yeah this was an excellent season uh much better than season nine season nine wasn't bad it just wasn't as good as the season before it and this one uh was was amazing i was i laughed so much and indeed larry david is a master at telling all of those different stories he and he makes these random societal observations he finds the comedy and the mundane and turns them into brilliant little subplots and the way that they all come together uh, you, you you i can't use a better word jeff poetic is indeed how it is so curb your enthusiasm if you missed it you can watch it through crave if you've got crave all of that stuff is on demand it's an hbo show and hbo comes through crave in canada and another hbo show that recently returned it just came back this past weekend season three of westworld dolores i don't know what she's planning Stop her. Not alone. Maeve. You came back from Maeve. I've waited many years for you and Dolores and the others to arrive. Pardon me, not this past weekend. It's two episodes in. It came back two weekends ago, right? Yeah, it's been two episodes, but it's sort of been like one long episode because large parts of each one just focused on one character who weren't in the other episode. Uh, the very broad strokes of season three so far are, if you've been trying to keep up with Westworld, this Dolores, the robot, is out in the real world now hunting former guests who treated her poorly at the theme park that is Westworld, where it's the robot cowboys that you get to interact with, like real people. But she's also trying to get at who's in charge of everything. She's already subbed in a robot for Tessa Thompson, who's on the board of the Delos, so she's in there, but Dolores also wants to cripple the real world, as it, it seems, so she's going after some tech giant who's created an AI program that's running everything. His name is Siraki. He's played by Vincent Cassell. 
And uh, he has just kidnapped Maeve to help him fight back against whatever Dolores is planning. Maeve spent her episode unraveling her own mystery, someone pulling her strings in Westworld, who turned out to be Serac. So I actually I probably she, shouldn't she, be listening to this, because I... I have you not seen it? No. <laughs> I thought you said you were caught up. I, I thought it was only one episode. <laughs> oh. So whatever, keep going. Uh, I'll forget. That was just that part. That part didn't turn into to be anything anyway, so don't worry about it. It's interesting. Yeah. And then Aaron Paul lives in the real world. He crosses paths with Dolores. He's this war vet suffering PTSD, and he does these low-level crimes, but he's a good guy. And then Bernard's on the run. He's become the scapegoat for the massacre in Westworld. So that's sort of where it's all beginning. And, you know, with Westworld, it's sort of a God knows where it's going to go from here. What did you think about the first episode? I really enjoyed it. It was it was good to be back. I think season two was a disappointment for me. I loved season one, and season two just didn't quite do it for me. Like it, it was still good, but it just left me kind of wondering or wanting more. So I like how it's transitioned now from the the western theme of the park into the real world, and I'm curious to see how the robots will interact with the humans and just see what their master plan is and see how it how Aaron Paul ends up tying in to the robots like i'm wondering if maybe he himself is a robot i don't know yeah oh that's what i thought too because they've actually put this thing at a place where every time they introduce a new character i assume they're a robot and in the back of my head i was like you need to prove to me that they're a human and until you do i'm gonna believe that they are a robot i, I also think that now, it seems like the timelines are straightforward, which has never been the case in this show. And I don't know, again, if maybe they're somehow pulling a trick on me, but I'm looking for it now. And then I was through both episodes going, no, that's, that's, this seems to be all lining up, one event taking place after another kind of thing. So if they're doing that, like I, you just don't know. You can't trust anything in the show anymore because they've pulled so many tricks in the first two seasons. So I don't. I really don't know what to make of it yet. Okay, but you've enjoyed both of those first episodes. Yeah, I, and I've been going into them skeptical because it's been so long, and I've forgotten everything about season two. And part of my brain is just like is thinking, "Come on, Westworld, just give me an excuse to just drop you off my schedule so I can watch something else." And they, it keeps hooking me back in. All right, so Westworld Season 3, now available on HBO slash Crave. And again, that will be available on demand. Up next, Jeff's going to tell you the two movies he watched this week. I still can't believe he watched them. And we'll offer our quick thoughts on this week's episode of Survivor. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett. And of course, I didn't go to the theaters this week, but I did watch a couple of movies, including one that's sort of new. I watched both Frozen's on Disney+. Plus. Who are you? I'm Queen Elsa. Oh God, this. Okay. It began with two sisters. <laughs> I woke the magical spirits at the Enchanted Forest. Okay, that's definitely not what I thought you were going to say. But promise me, we fix this together, okay? I promise. Ready, PG. What the hell made you watch these movies? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, we were having family movie night, my girlfriend, her kids, and I, and they wanted to watch Frozen 2 because it's new on streaming way sooner than Disney had anticipated. And so I'm, I was down for that, and I had time beforehand to squeeze in Frozen 1, which I'd never seen. So I thought, oh, well, why would I go in cold on Frozen 2 and 
not know what's going on when I got time to catch up on Frozen 1. So I just did it. It was like a five-hour Frozen marathon. Um, I knew Olaf the Snowman. I knew the song Let It Go. And I was confused about who the movie was about because usually there's like one Disney princess in these movies, from what I gather. And I kept hearing about Elsa and Anna. And I wasn't sure which one was the princess or the main character or what. And then it turns out they're sisters. Elsa's older. She's magic. She can shoot ice out of her hands and make it all wintry. Anna is the younger, more headstrong sister. And although she's not the one with powers or in power, she really is the main character. And their dad is the king of their little piece of the world. Have you seen either of these? No, I never did get around to seeing them. Not that I have. It's not that I don't want to see them. I just it, yeah. It's kind of. Uh, it takes a special motivation for me to watch a cartoon by myself, especially a musical cartoon. But one, maybe one day. Um, in the first one, Elsa tries to come to grips with her powers, but she freaks out and freezes the kingdom and runs away in fear. And then Anna and a motley crew set out to find her to get her to fix things. Meantime, Anna is double-crossed back home by her boyfriend who wants to take over the kingdom. And then in the second one, the new one, it's a lot more complex. It's a lot less clear about what's going on. Elsa is called by a spirit to some magic woods and beyond. And Anna and the others go with her. And there's, uh, there's another family connection. Uh, my girlfriend Kim and I both really thought there was way too much going on for a kids movie and that made it a little harder to get into it and stay in it as we watched of course like you said they're both musicals and i'm not a big musicals guy uh, i think they both could have scaled the music back a bit i don't know that's just me your mileage will vary of course by and large though i thought they were both fun and exciting movies and pretty original while there are love interests the bond between sisters is by far the most meaningful relationship which you don't see in a lot of disney movies so that was very cool uh the first one is just more straightforward so I think that helped me enjoy it more. I will give Frozen three and a half couch cushions out of five and Frozen two, three couch cushions out of five. And a reminder as well that when Frozen, the first one came out, that was back in, oh my gosh, what year was? I'm just looking that up right 2014, now. I believe. Yeah, uh, 2013. Wow. So that would have been November. That long ago. Yeah, November 2013. And you know what that says. What's that? that? And the second one came out in 2019, Christmas thereof, which means they had no plans for a sequel, which means they didn't think it was going to be as big a hit as it was. Yeah, like this was, a, we blew it off completely. The Couch Potatoes just blew this movie off. We laughed at it. We thought it looked stupid. And uh, we figured it would just kind of come and go. Went on to become one of the biggest, if not, was it the biggest cartoon ever? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, something along those lines. $400 million domestic, uh, $1.28 billion worldwide. It was the, the surprise, just a huge surprise hit. And yeah. I, uh, that song, Let It Go, I think most parents probably wish that uh, they could unhear it, right? But uh, uh, So, yeah, I'll have to check it out. But I, I, I just like to remind everybody that we uh, we blew, <laughs> blew that one hard. We screwed that up as far as uh, being a prognosticator, prognosticator is concerned. we got a couple of minutes left here, so let's talk about Survivor. He thinks that it's going to be me and him always until the end. I know exactly what you're going to say. If you want to put me on some kind of leash, I might turn around and bite you. Survivor's ready! Go! Oh. <laughs> like Tony, but he is the bigger threat in this game. So we're going to continue with our theme, our weekly recap of Survivor Winners at War, which is seen Wednesday nights on global television. Normally we only talk about Survivor a couple of times during the season, but it's been so good this year that, hey, we got to talk about it on a weekly basis because every episode something happens and you go, I can't believe it happened. What did you think? Yeah. 
Oh, I was... The ending, my poor... Spoilers ahead, but Yule gets voted out, and he was the guy I was cheering for the hardest from day one. He's always been my favorite player, and I thought he was... I, I assumed he would sort of cruise deep into the game, maybe like to the final six at least kind of deal, but now he gets uh, booted out right before the merge, and, and he got greedy with this fire token business. He let... I don't know why he let that get to his head, but if he would have not gone all in on his little plan to cheat Wendell out of his fire tokens, he may have, you know, skated through this one and let the ill will towards Wendell carry everyone else's vote. Yeah, I was I was surprised at that particular strategy, and I, I appreciate his move, right? Like he was trying to yeah. adapt to this fire token and, and find a way to, to make it work for him. And I think when you look at it in terms of like, if you look at it as a mathematical equation, he had all of the numbers right, but he clearly has underestimated the social element of the game and just how A, uh, how the game has evolved. But B, he's older and the others are younger and the younger contestants they don't suffer that stuff they're still you know they're still younger and they they get defensive and if you try to boss them around oh you're not the boss of me kind of deal right like they they don't want to be pushed pushed around they don't want to be told what to do and if it at all seems like someone is telling them what to do then of course they revolt against that because they're they're young and they're stupid uh what a stereotype hey that's an awful stereotype i'm just kidding no but it's 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 true and it's weird because a lot of in a lot of other ways they don't let their emotions get the better of them at all like an old survivor you would have all these scenarios where people would not vote for someone because they were it would cause hurt feelings or they would vote a certain way that they didn't want to vote just because of loyalty and the younger players just don't do that and you know because they vote in a way that no one's feelings get hurt by having people vote them out anymore. They're just mad that they lost the game, of course, but no one thinks like, oh my God, you've like literally in the real world betrayed me by voting against me, which is what you used to see on these older seasons. And I think a lot of these older players just didn't get on board with that switch and that's why they're all gone now yeah i can't believe they're all gone it's uh that that i think actually takes away some of the drama now for me because it was cool seeing the older school players against the newer school but the 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 old school just got decimated and they're all going to fight for a spot on extinction island and uh sandra walking out uh, is just saying you know what i quit <laughs> and good for him for good for her for doing that for just rec recognizing i have no chance of getting back in the game so why am i going to Bother. But hey, that's all the time yeah. we've got, Jeff. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.